Chapter Seven of Uller Uprising. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. Uller Uprising by H. Beam Piper. Chapter Seven. Bismillah! How dumb can we get? The lights had come on inside the semicircular and now open storm porch of Company House, but it was still daylight outside. The sky above the mountain to the west was fading from crimson to burnt orange, and a couple of the brighter stars were winking into visibility. Von Schlichten and the sergeant hurried a hundred yards from the street between low, thick-walled office buildings to the telecast station next to the administration building. A woman capped and met him just inside the door of the big, soundproofed room. We have a wavelength open to Concrete General, she said, in booth three. He nodded. Thank you, Captain. We've all lost a true friend, haven't we? Another girl, a tech sergeant, was in the booth. On the screen was the image of a third young woman, a lieutenant, at Concrete Station. The sergeant rose and started to leave the booth. Stick around, sergeant, von Schlichten told her. I want you to take over when I'm through. He sat down in front of the combination visa screen and pickup. Now, lieutenant, just what happened? he asked. How did he die? We think it was poison, General. General Mazangui has ordered autopsy and chemical analysis. If you can wait about ten minutes, he'll be able to talk to you himself. Call him. In the meantime, give me everything you know. Well, the governor decided to go to bed early. He was going hunting in the morning. I suppose you know his usual routine. Von Schlichten nodded. Harrington would have taken a shower, put on his dressing gown, and then sat down at his desk, lighted his pipe, poured a drink of Terran bourbon, and begun to write his diary. Well, at twenty-two hundred, give or take a couple of minutes, the Cragen guard sergeant on that floor heard ten pistol shots, as fast as they could be fired, semi-auto, in the governor's room. The door was locked, but he shot it off with his own pistol and went in. He found Governor Harrington on the floor, wearing only his gown, holding an empty pistol. He was in convulsions, frothing at the mouth, in horrible pain. Evidently he'd fired his pistol, which he kept on his desk, to call help. All the bullets had gone into the ceiling. The sergeant punched the emergency button beside the bed and reported, then tried to help the governor. But it was too late. One of the medics got there in five minutes, just as he was dying. He'd written his diary up to noon of today and broken off in the middle of a word. There was a bottle and an overturned glass on his desk. The constabulary got there a few minutes later, when the Brigadier General Mazangui took charge. A white rat, given fifteen drops from the whiskey bottle, died with the same symptoms in about ninety seconds. Who had access to the whiskey bottle? A geek servant, who takes care of the room. He was caught an hour earlier trying to slip off the island without a pass. They were holding him at the guardhouse when Governor Harrington died. He's now being questioned by the Craigans. The girl's face was bleakly remorseless. I hope they do plenty to him. I hope they don't kill him before he talks. Wait a moment, General. We have General Mazangui now, the girl said. I'll switch you over. The screen broke into a kaleidoscope jumble of color, then cleared. The chocolate-brown face of Themistocles Mazangui was looking out of it. I heard what happened, how they found him, and about that geek chamber valet being arrested, von Schlichten said. Did you get anything out of him? He's admitted putting poison in the bottle, but he claims it was his own idea. But he's one of Father Keeluk's prisoners, so— Keeluk! God damn, so that was it! von Schlichten almost shouted. Now I know what he wanted was Stalin, and that goat, and those rabbits. Five thousand miles away in Konkruk, Themistocles Mazangui whistled. Bismillah! 
"'How dumb can we get?' he cried. "'Of course they'd need terrestrial animals to find out what would poison a Terran. "'Wait a minute. I'll make a note of that to spring on this geek if the Kragans haven't finished him by now.' Von Schlichten watched Mzangwe pick up a stenophone and whisper in it for a moment. "'All right, Carlos. What else?' "'Has Eric been notified?' We called Geekark, but he's an audience with King Orzild, and we can't reach him. Well, who's in charge at Kunkruk now? Not much of anybody. Laviola, the fiscal secretary, and Hans Meyerstein, the banking cartel's lawyer, and Howlett, the personnel chief, and Berman, the commercial secretary. We've made up a sort of quadrumvirate, and we're trying to run things. I don't know what would happen if anything came up suddenly— a blue-gray uniformed arm with a major's cuff braid came into the screen, handing a slip of paper to Mzangwe. He took it, glanced at it, and swore. Von Schlichten waited until he had read it through. "'Well, something has, all right,' the African said. "'We just got a call from Jaykark's palace. A revolt's broken out, presumably headed by Gurgurk. Household guards either mutinied or wiped out by all the mutineers. All but those twenty Kragan rifles we loaned Jaykark.' They and about a dozen of Jaykark's courtiers and their personal retainers are holding the approaches to the king's apartments. The native lieutenant in charge of the Kragans just radioed in, says the situation is desperate. When a Kragan says that, he means damn near hopeless. Is this being recorded? When Mazangui nodded, he continued. All right. Use the recording for your authority and take charge. I'm declaring martial rule at Kongruk, as of now, 2253. Tell Eric Blount what's happened and what you've done as soon as you can get in touch with him. I'm leaving for Concrete at once. I ought to get in by 0800. Now as to the trouble at the palace. Don't commit more than one company of Kragans and ten air jeeps, four combat cars, and tell them to evacuate Jaykark and his followers and our Kragans to Gongonk Island, and alert your whole force. These geek palace revolutions are always synchronized with street riding, and this thing seems to have been synchronized with Sid Harrington's death, too. Get our Kragans out if you can't save anybody else from the palace, but sacrificing thirty or forty men to save twenty is no kind of business. And keep sending reports. I can pick them up on my car radio as I come down. He turned to the girl sergeant. Keep on this. There'll be more coming in. He rose and left the booth. If we can pull Jake Hark's bacon off the fire, he was thinking, the company can dictate its own terms to him afterward. If Jake Hark's killed, we'll have Gergurk's head off for it, and then take over Concrook. In either case, it'll be a long step toward getting rid of all these geek despots. And with Eric Blount as governor-general, the girl captain in charge of the station met him as he came out. Poison, he told her. A geek servant did the job, on orders from Gurgurk and possibly Rakid. Gurgurk started a putsch against King Jaykark. I'm going to Concrook at once. Call the military airport and have my command car brought to company house. Harry Kwong and Hassan Bogdanov had been at the banquet, too. In a world of lizard-faced silicate-eaters, the social difference between a human general and a human air-car driver was almost infinitesimal. He'd have to talk to Barney Mordekwitz, too. When word of events at Concru got out among the local geeks, as it probably had already, the inner door of the soundproof telecast room burst open. Three men hurried inside, and it slammed shut behind them. In the brief interval, there had been firing audible from outside. One of the men had a pistol in his right hand, and with his left arm he supported a companion, whose shoulder was mangled and dripped blood. The third man had a burp gun in his hands. All were in civilian dress shorts and light jackets. The man with the pistol holstered it and helped his injured companion into a chair. The burp gunner advanced into the room, looked around, saw von Schlichten, and addressed him. "'General, the geeks turned on us!' he cried. "'The Tenth North Uller's mutinied. They're running wild all over the place.' 
They've taken their barracks and supply buildings, and the lorry hangars and the maintenance yard. They're headed this way in a mob. Some of the Zerk Calvary's joined them. How about the Kragans? The 18th Rifles? They're with us. I saw a party of them firing into the mob. I saw some of the 10th NUNI tossing a dead Kragan on their bayonets. Have any ammo left for that burp gun? Come on, then. Let's see what it's like at Company House, von Schlichten said. Captain Malavez, you know what to do about defending this station. Get busy doing it. And have that girl in Booth 3 tell Concrete what's happened here, and say that I won't be coming down as planned, just yet. He opened the door, and the rattle of shots outside became audible again. The civilian with a burp gun knew better than to let a general go out first. Elbowing von Schlichten out of the way, he crouched over his weapon and dashed outside. Drawing his pistol, von Schlichten followed, pulling the door shut after him. Darkness had fallen while he had been inside. Now the whole company reservation was ablaze with electric lights. Somebody at the power plant, either the regular staff, if they were still holding, or the mutineers, if they had taken it, had thrown on the emergency lights. There was a confused mass of gray-skinned figures in front of Company House, reflected light twinkling on steel over them. From the direction of the native troops' barracks, more natives were coming on the run. On the building, across the street, on the roof, two machine-guns were already firing into the mob. A group of Terrans came running out of a roadway between two buildings. From the direction of the repair shop, several of them paused a fire behind them with pistols. They started toward Company House, saw what was going on there, and veered, darting into the door of the building from which the auto-weapons were firing. From up the street, a hundred old Saurian-faced native soldiers were coming at the double, bayonets fixed and rifles at high port. With them ran several Terrans. Motioning his companion to follow, von Schlichten ran to meet them, falling in beside a Terran captain who ran in front. "'What's the score, Captain?' he asked. Ten North Uller and the Fifth Cavalry have mutinied. So have these ragtag auxiliaries. That mob down there is a part of them.' He was puffing under the double effort of running and talking. "'Whole thing blew up in seconds. No chance to communicate with anybody!' A Terran woman in black slacks and an orange sweater ran across the street in front of them, pursued by a group of enlisted men of the Tenth North Uller Native Infantry, all shrieking, "'Znid! Stubit!' The fugitive ran into her doorway across the street before her pursuers were aware of their danger. The Kragans had swept over them. There was no shooting. The slim, cruel-bladed bayonets did the work. From behind him, as he ran, von Schlichten could hear Kragan voices in a new cry. Znidgeek! Znidgeek! The mob were swarming up under the steps and into the semi-rotunda of the storm porch. There was shooting, which told him that some of the humans who had been at the banquet were still alive. He wondered, half-sick, how many, and whether they could hold out till he could clear the doorway, and most of all he found himself thinking of Paula Quentin. Skidding to a stop within fifty yards of the mob, he flung out his arms crucifix-wise to halt the Kragans. Behind he could hear the Terrans and native officers shouting commands to form front. "'Give them one clip, reload, and then give them the bayonet,' he ordered. "'Shove them off the steps, and then clear the porch. One clip, fire, and reload, at will!' Somebody passed it on in Kragan." The hundred rifles let go all at once, and for five seconds they poured a deafening two thousand rounds into the mutineers. There was some fire in reply. A Zerk corporal narrowly missed him with a pistol. He saw the captain's head fly apart when an explosive rifle bullet hit him, and half a dozen Kragans went down. "'Reload! Set your safeties!' von Schlichten bellowed. "'Charge!' Under human officers, the North Uller native infantry would have stood firm. Even under their native officers and sergeants, they should not have broken as they did. But the best of these had paid for their loyalty to the company with their lives, and the rest had destroyed their authority by revolting against the source from which it was derived. At that, the Skilkin peasantry who made up the 10th infantry and the Zerk cavalrymen tried briefly to fight as individuals, shrieking, Znid Sudibit! 
until the Cragans were upon them stabbing and shooting. They drove the rioters from the steps or killed them there. They wiped out those who had gotten into the semicircle of the storm-porch. The inside doors von Schlichten saw were open, but beyond them were Terrans and a dozen or so Cragans. Hideyoshi O'Leary and Barney Mordkovitz seemed to be in command of these. We had about thirty seconds' warning, Mordkovitz reported, and the Cragans in the hall bought us another sixty seconds. Of course, we all had our pistols. Hey, these storm doors are wedged, somebody discovered. Those goddamn geek servants! Yeah, kill any of them you can. Cat, somebody else advised. If we could have gotten them doors closed. The mob, driven from the steps, was trying to reform and renew the attack. From up the street, the machine guns, silent during the bayonet fight, began hammering again. The mob surged forward to get out of their fire, and were met by rifle blast and a hedge of bayonets at the steps. They surged back, and the machine guns flailed them again. They started to rush the building from whence the automatic fire came, and there was a fusillade and a shriek of Znidgeek from up the street. They turned and fled in the direction from whence they had come, bullets scourging them from three directions at once. For a moment, von Schlichten and the three Terrans and eighty-odd Cragans who had survived the fight stood on the steps, weapons poised, seeking more enemies. The machine-guns up the street stuttered a few short bursts and were silent. From behind, the beleaguered Terrans and their Cragan guards were emerging. He saw Jules Cavani and his wife, Commander Prinsloo of the Aldebaran, Harry Kwong, and Bogdanov. Ah, there she was. He heaved a breath of relief and waved to her. The Cragans were already setting about their after-battle chores. About twenty of them spread out on guard. The others by fours went into the street, one covering with his rifle, while the other three checked on their own casualties, used the short leaf-shaped swords they carried to slash off the heads of enemy wounded, and collected weapons and ammunition. A couple of hundred more Cragans, led by native Major Cormark, the co-parent of Young with King Kincaid, came up at the double and stopped in front of Company House. We were in quarters aboard the Aldebaran, and in the guesthouse at the airport, Cormark reported, we were attacked fifteen minutes ago by a mob. We took ten minutes beating them off, and five more getting here. I sent native Captain Jirdik and the rest of the force to retake the supply depot in the shops and lorry hangars, which had been taken, and relieve the military airport, which is under attack. There was still firing from the commercial airport and the smaller military airfield. Once there was a string of heavy explosions that sounded like eighty-millimeter rockets. Good enough. I hope you didn't spread yourself out too thin. What's the situation at the commercial airport? The two ships, the Aldebaran and the freighter Northern Star, are both safe, Cormac replied. I saw them go on contragravity and rise to about a hundred feet. Whose crowd is that you have? he asked the Terran lieutenant, who had taken over command of the first force of Cragans. Company six, eighteenth rifle, sir. We were on duty at the guardhouse. Fighting broke out in the direction of the native barracks. A couple of runners from Captain Retief of Company 4 came in with word that he was being attacked by mutineers from the 10th NUNI, but that he was holding them back. So Captain Charbonneau, who was killed a few minutes ago, left a Terran lieutenant and a Cragen native lieutenant and a couple of native sergeants and thirty Cragens to hold the guardhouse, and brought the rest of us here. Von Schlichten nodded. You'd pass the military airport and the power plant, wouldn't you? he asked. Yes, sir. The military airport's holding out, and I saw the red and yellow danger lights on the fence around the power plant. That meant the power plant was, for the time, safe. Somebody turned 20,000 volts into the fence. All right, I'm setting up my command post at the telecast station where the communication equipment is. He turned to the crowd that had come out onto the porch from inside. Where's Colonel Ching Lee? Here, General. The intelligence and constabulary officer pushed through the crowd. I was on the phone, talking to the military airport, the commercial airport, ordnance depot, spaceport, ship docks, and power plant. All answer. I'm afraid Pop Good at the city power plant is done for. 
Nobody answers there, but the TV pickup is still on in the load dispatcher's room, and the place is full of geeks. Colonel Jarman's coming here with a lorry to get combat car crews. He's short-handed. Port Captain Levitt has all the native labor at the airport and spaceport herded into repair dock. He's keeping them covered with the forward 90mm gun of the Northern Star. Lorry hangars, repair shops, and maintenance yards don't answer. That's what I was going to ask you. Good enough. Harry Kwong, Hassan Bogdanov. His command car crew front and centered. I want you to take Colonel Leary up as soon as my car is brought here. Hid, you go up and see what's going on. Drop flares where there isn't any light, and take a look at the native labor camp and the equipment park south of the reservation. Cormark, you take all your gang and half these soldiers from the 18th here, and help clear the native troop barracks. And don't bother taking any prisoners. We can't spare personnel to guard them. Cormac grinned. The taking of prisoners had always been one of those irrational Terran customs which no Ulleran regarded with favor, or even comprehension. End of chapter 7 Recording by Acacia Wood